The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, we are live. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus Amadeo and Gravel Associates and Shiawassee 6. And today, kind of like a con law two lecture from law school, I'm going to talk about freedom of speech prosecutions. And, you know, I won't get into specifics. Many people know why I'm doing this live. Number one, I need more content. And content's been problematic lately because we've been working so much. Number two, I mean, we kind of know what case is coming up this week. And a lot of these topics will kind of cross over with that particular case. We won't get to the specifics of the case, but people on both sides of the aisle have really taken a different view on this thing. And I think many Republicans have become big fans of mine because of Bobby Reyes, number one. It's a right to life case, which, okay, my personal views kind of get distorted here. I, I stand by that Bobby should have been given more of a chance to live. Um, the speech cases, you know, and where I stand the political half circle, like, I can't stand the political half circle right now. I think the Democrats have a lot of idiots involved. I think the Republicans have a lot of just brutality and brutal people involved. I don't like either side of the half circle. And i kind of been framed as a uh, right-winger for my arguments in court. Let me be very clear on that. I believe in a case. I don't believe in a political party. And that's where I stand with things. And it does appear that Republicans seem to crave me because of some of the things I'm saying, and I, I may agree with Republicans on certain issues, and one issue I'm going to agree with here is these freedom of speech prosecutions. You have to understand something, guys. You don't have to like who's speaking. And you don't have to like what they're saying. But you sure as hell have to protect their right to say and speak. Because if we don't do that, we are backtracking everything the Constitution stands for. The Constitution is a living and breathing document. And back with Con Law 2, and I'm going back to Chris Schaefer at Cooley, who I thought was an excellent professor, but him and Phil Pregoski, they spoke about what the Constitution meant. And in Con Law 2, freedom of speech, equal protection, these things kind of spoke to me. And it kind of taught me a lot. And I'm going to tell you, as a child that grew up in poverty, I always saw speech getting curtailed. And that's why it's important to me with this transition that, look, you don't have to like the speaker. You don't have to like the content. But if we don't protect someone's right to say something, if we don't protect their right to express their opinions, we got a problem here, and I know there's some friends of mine that are really upset about certain cases right now. And these are people I respect, people I admire, but we're on different ends of this thing because I just feel I have to protect speech. And I think it just doesn't come down to the big-name Republican cases. I could take the Grady L case. Why was Shatina beat? Because she was speaking her mind kind of simplistic there, but let's think about it. And I do think Dana Nessel and Dana Nessel have issues. That's clear. You know, I have my problems with Todd Flood. I have my problems with John Bella, Kelly Carter. We go on and on all day with this. I'm seeing a lot of things be prosecuted for political purposes instead of applying the law to the facts. So let's take speech from the get-go, okay? We have to start with the premise that speech is protected. Again, take the subjectivity out of it. We have to protect someone's right to speak. 
and looking at it from a big picture, if we want to curtail someone's right to speech, we have to go through a strict scrutiny analysis. Strict scrutiny is the toughest analysis we have. The burdens on the government to show, number one, they have a compelling interest for curtailing that speech. That's why they're going to try to prosecute on it. Then step two, it has to be done in a narrowly tailored fashion. When we say narrowly tailored, that means done in the least restrictive manner. And this is where it becomes very difficult to truly prosecute speech. You got to start with that protection. We are protected, right? Don't like what I have to say, but we're going to protect it. There are things that the Constitution, when we take it apart, fall outside those protections. And this is where the Michigan Bar essay lives. Remember this, guys. If you're watching this and you're a law student, or you're prepping for the bar exam, the Michigan Bar exam, much like the practice of law, talks about the exceptions. Every generic lawyer can find the general rule. The question for you, if you want to be a good advocate, is how do we get to the exceptions of things? What are the exceptions to First Amendment protection? Obscenity. Child porn. Defamation. False advertising. True threats and fighting words. And there's tests for all of these things. But let's break down the true threat analysis for a moment, okay? What we're trying to say when we prosecute somebody for a true threat is there's three elements the government has to prove. And when the government's trying to prosecute someone for what they said, they got the burden. And you start with that strict scrutiny burden, but then you get into case law, and case law says they got to prove three things. Number one, what's the context of that statement? What was actually said? Number two, what's the nature of the supposed threat? And number three, what's the reaction to the recipient? When we talk about the true threat doctrine, guys, we're saying somebody has to be literally terrified at what was said in the speech. And that leads us to the criminal conduct exception. What we're saying with that is the speech is so closely linked to the conduct. We're going to prosecute the speaker in the same way we prosecute them for physically doing something. That's a slippery slope. And here's my problem. This is my problem with Dana Nessel, um, other people with the Democratic Party, and I'm not hating on Dems because personally, guys, I think you're all messed up, the Republicans and the Dems right now. I'm disgusted with the whole political half circle. We can't prosecute somebody for political antics. We just can't do that. Because if we were to do that across the board, we would be prosecuting day and night for someone's right to speak. If you're upset, you could sue them civilly. You can go on your own attack. There's a hundred things you can do. But to try to capture someone's freedom because you don't like their speech, that's messed up. That goes against everything we are supposed to believe in as lawyers. That bothers me. And that's why I took certain cases. I don't care if you don't like my client. I really don't. But if we disrespect the law, we're going down a slippery slope. If you don't like somebody because they don't believe in your political views, and you want to prosecute them for what they say, the danger is if somebody else is in power, they're going to do the same thing. And I don't care how we play this game. We're supposed to be even-handed. We're supposed to apply the law evenly. Other laws have come up lately, and this bothers me greatly. I know in Washington, we won't prosecute for prostitution. We won't prosecute for the use of mushrooms. We won't prosecute abortions that are done illegally. Here's the thing. Personally, I think a woman has a right to choose. 
I think it's disgusting that in Michigan, a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old having consensual sex is a 15-year felony, but yet a 16-year-old and a 40-year-old having consensual sex is perfectly fine. I can't stand that. Let's flip it for a minute, okay? When we look at prostitution, if we don't prosecute that, at least the fear of prosecution, we're giving human traffickers a free pass. It's not the young girl who's turning tricks that we want to incarcerate. Who we want to incarcerate is the scumbag that got that 50-year-old kid who was a runaway from home on his payroll. But if we give a free pass on those things, we can't get to that scumbag. With the 17-year-old and the 15-year-old, there's no way in hell a 17-year-old should go to jail or prison for having consensual sex with somebody under the age of 16. Consensual. See what I said there. But if we don't apply the law, I'm not saying lock the kid up, but maybe give him height or something, we have to send a message we don't want underage people having sex. The whole mushroom thing just disgusts me because look I, I don't care if you smoke weed use mushrooms I, I don't like giving a free pass on drugs completely and you know who I'm talking about right now um, the fact that a prosecutor can encourage disregarding what the legislator said is terrifying and that just bothers me but yet we're going to come back with these speech cases I guess the moral of today's story guys if we don't like the law, let's change the law. And we certainly have a role in sentencing if we think the law is not right. But we can't pick and choose what laws we're going to apply. That's bullshit. And then we can't charge somebody who didn't violate the law because we don't like their political stance. Jesus Christ, what are we doing here? And I'm looking at my caseload. I'm seeing young men accused of rape with no evidence. We don't care about polygraphs. I'm seeing people that may be idiotic during election time getting charged with felonies for speaking their mind when the other side's doing crazy stuff too. We're not talking about morality. We're talking about legality. Let's understand that. I don't understand how we cannot have an even hand. How we cannot prosecute to the facts. When we start prosecuting freedom of speech, we are going down a slippery slope. We can't prosecute because we don't like one's belief system. This is what encouraged bigotry, racism, slavery, go on and on. If you want to talk history, we could do that. When we decide subjectively what the law should be, as opposed to take the objective view on what the law is, we are going down a road where people are losing their constitutional rights. And God damn it, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to fight for one's constitutional rights, whether I'm the prosecutor or defense counsel. We have a constitution for a reason. And I truly believe the constitution is a living and breathing document. We can't look at it like it's 1776. We can't look at it like it's 1976. But we sure as hell got to view it like it's 2023. And what that means, guys, is we cannot put our own spin on what the law is. We have to learn as litigators, practitioners, how to apply that law properly. And I am so sick of seeing innocent people or people that are prisoners of politics get prosecuted incorrectly shit's gotta stop here's the law we apply the law it's not rocket science and when you start prosecuting one's freedom of speech you are going down a road where separation of powers gets blurred so you don't have to like who my client is but I would hope if you look at it objectively you can respect what the law is and understand the application as such. I was asked to speak on that. I took up 15 minutes of your time. 
That's my two cents on The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Just so you're clear, watch that hot mic. See how Jen ran out of the So... Um, I'm here with Jen Kelly, who ran out of the room, Matt McManus, and, and today's live, I'm going to express my frustration with the mental health system in Washington County and the country, and also discuss people being at the wrong place at the wrong time. As you can see, I'm in my finest scarves. <laughs> Sunday best. The, the, the goal today was busy work, beyond busy work. And I have to be before the Michigan Supreme Court on the 9th. And I just want to prep this thing today. And yeah, why don't you come back in? You can, you can hear this live. Jen Kelly's walking back in. That's Ratings are going up. So, I got my brief out and Jen's doing her work. And I want to go lay on the couch and just go through this brief. I go to use the bathroom. Now let me explain something. I left the door ajar to use the bathroom because Jen Kelly always locks me out when I go to the bathroom. One time. More than once. So I was going to have that happen again. So I, I use the bathroom, I come back, I'm all ready for my day to get grinding away and I hear this man talking to Jennifer. And he... You don't have anybody in the store? <laughs> and I'm like, huh, this is different. We're not used to walk-ins. Usually people calling after hours saying, can they come in? But this guy was a walk-in, okay. And he's got his stuff in bags. And I don't know if he's a homeless man or what, but he's looking for this union that was supposed to be in our office building. So I feel bad for the man. Um, I start looking up the number to the union while Jen is trying to get information from him. And this union has no information online for a phone number. I mean, what the hell? It's a typewriter union. (laughs) (laughs) So then it says they're in 209B. I go up to 209B, and there is no 209B anymore. Now I'm getting concerned. So I come back down, I talk to this poor guy, and I'm like, hey, so what's going on? And he's telling me all this stuff. So, I mean, you know, we start giving him food, and we're going to give him money and get him an Uber somewhere. I don't know what to do. So I start calling different unions, and nobody's answering the calls. And their voicemails say, please leave a voicemail, and then there's no option to leave a voicemail. I don't know what to do for this poor guy. Then he starts rambling off statutes, and he says we can work as an assistant for us, which he'd be better than some of the former lawyers we had here. I mean, he would file stuff on time, I'm sure. (laughs) Where we got out of winter some days, right? So, I'm sorry, I mean... Pete never filed anything on time. What did Pete Winter say one time? I'm a perfectionist. I better not file anything that file something I don't know. Okay. It's not going to be about Pete. So. So we don't know what to do. He gives me his number to his mother. So I call the mom. I call and I text the mom. She calls me back like, oh, hi, ma'am. I'm so glad to hear from you. My name is William Amadeo, and your son's at my law office right now. And we want to get him back to your house. Can I put him in an Uber to come back to your house? She says no. He goes, no, I'm not doing that. How dare you? I'm like, excuse me? It's your problem. She said, it's my problem. Like, look, I don't know what to do for Todd. He's your son. Can we please bring him back to your house? She says, no, hangs up on me. Now, I'm furious at this point. I'm going to call this woman back. And Matt's like, no, no, no. He's over 18. Like, somebody call your aunt screaming at you about things they don't like about you. You can't do that. Like, okay. So, he asked if he could use my phone. Sure. He uses the phone. He calls the cell number of general counsel in Texas for the union he worked for. And she picked up the phone. It was a state. It was a state. Okay, sorry. 
She's like corporate counsel out there. So I'm talking to this woman on the phone like, hey, what do I do? I'll feed him. I'll give him money. I'll get him an Uber. But I don't know what to do. I don't know what he's saying. And she says, I've had that problem with him myself. <laughs> what the hell? So now we got to find him a shelter. So I'm thinking, let's just go find him a shelter. Get him a hotel, whatever. So what does Matt do? He starts Googling shelters to see which ones have the better reviews. I'm not going to send him to a two-star shelter. That's so we start calling the four- and five-star shelters. And of course, there's like a process to get him in. I, not I, I can't wait. I, I need to put this poor guy somewhere. And I'm pissed off at Washington County. Here is this, this big liberal community that wants to help those with mental health. Yeah, they pick up the goddamn phone. The competency center doesn't pick up the phone for competencies. The shelters aren't answering the goddamn calls for this guy. I think we're doing more for mental health issues than they are right now. At least we gave him money in an Uber ride, for Christ's sake. We're calling his mother. They're not doing that. And mom's hanging up on me. Jesus Christ. So, I called an Uber, and I said, I'm going to call my Uber guy, who's a friend of mine. He goes, you have your own Uber guy. You must be an amazing attorney. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have my own Uber guy. There's a friend of mine that drives an Uber. And I explained that to him. I kind of took the air out of the balloon right there. Like, he's a holy shit. This guy must be the best lawyer in the world. He has an own Uber guy on command. No, no. I texted my friend Andrew. Hey, you free for an Uber? Can you drop this poor guy off at the shelter? Oh my god. Oh, I hope so. I told you, there's a part B to this, we don't know. So, I, I give him a hundred bucks. And Max pulls out his wallet. The guy, oh, you took care of him, okay? What is it, like, Polly at dinner? Alligator arms. Could I have the 50 back? <laughs> Could we split the difference here, sir? My partner at the firm. I'll pay for the Uber, too. I did. So, what's the moral to the story? Keep the door locked. Keep yes! the door locked if you go to the bathroom. No wall. Let's please help these people. I mean, I felt bad for this guy. I mean, when he called general counsel in Texas and they answered the phone. And then when his mother hang up, hung up on me, then he started quoting statutes. He was accurate. He was. <laughs> this SOL is unlimited because there was fraud involved. You know? Did he use that? And that, he, he did tell me the one story though. I mean, so he was living in Texas. And I told him I knew someone in Texas that was in a mental health facility and they were dating a woman in the facility and he said that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I mean, this poor guy was giving relationship advice. <laughs> Calling lawyers in other states. Twenty percent of what he said was It's very appropriate and reasonable. So I'm pissed off right now that Washington County is not doing more to help these people. And let me tell you guys, this was first-hand experience. Lost an hour and a half or so of our day working to try to help this man, and nobody will pick up the goddamn phone. The unions that are paying, he's paying for, or paid into are not located, don't tell them where to go. The shelters are not answering the calls. His mother's hanging up on me. General counsel in Texas says, hey, I'm glad he's met you. <laughs> what? <laughs> she goes, well, you sound a good person. You're doing more for him than we ever could. <laughs> could you give him some cash? <laughs> and send him to a, I mean, what is happening with the mental health situation in this country? And I know we're questioned for our mental health, but you don't understand what I'm saying right now. The people that are really in need are not getting the need. And I don't know what to do because it's over my pay grade. You know? I said to corporate counsel on the phone, I mean, if he had a criminal case, I could help him out. But I don't know. I, We literally, from layman's terms, he stuck it to the office. We gave him food and water. Called him an Uber. Gave him cash. Called the shelters. Called his mother, spoke to general counsel. This was done in a 90-minute time frame. And what I'm really pissed off about this morning, guys, the people that are paid to do these things 
are not answering the calls. Our tax dollars are to help people like this. And all I hear from the Democratic Party is how much they want to help those with mental health issues. But I'm going to tell you right now, this was living proof that somebody with a mental health issue turned for help everywhere they could go. What is somebody going to do when they have no money, they have no working phone, they have no loved ones to go to? It's really great to say shit during an election. It's another thing to actually put in the sweat equity. And I guess we should be doing more to help someone like that than painting murals and doing stupid TikToks about mushrooms. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. We're going to discuss a Halloween memory and a law school Halloween memory. And it's going to bring back the movie Snakes on a Plane, the Samuel L. Jackson flick. What's up, Gary? How you hanging, man? Oh, let me just say, tonight, it's my son's first Halloween. He's sleeping now. That's why I did the live now. But, you know, you're all excited. Dressing the kid up. He's pissed off about it. Like, Max has had enough. Been a great weekend for me. A tough night last night. His tummy's acting up. We're dressing him up in this Halloween costume, and he's against it. But I'm all excited. Because, you know, growing up in a really poor neighborhood, when we started moving to a wealthier area, I was always working. But tonight, you know, it's my son's first Halloween. I'm all excited to hand out the candy and... And I, very few people came. And then parents were coming getting candy. I think they caught on to me. And I'm like this desperate guy that wants to give candy out. It's like, oh my God, we made it to the suburbs. Let's give some expensive candy out. And people, I will give you a whole Snickers if you come to my house for some freaking candy. And it just, I don't know, it's weird. Very few. But um, happy Halloween to everyone. And that brings me to some Halloween stories. And I guess I'm going to focus on one tonight from law school. But let's talk about Halloween historically, because I always felt like Halloween was um, a chance to just unwind, and I never really unwound. It was also a chance for a lot of weirdos to just flex their creative muscles, if you would. I mean, I knew some people in the casino, they would wait for Halloween. For months, they would start talking about what's going to happen on Halloween. So, I'm going to briefly discuss, I have some notes, generalizations of Halloween. And uh, I'll take it to 2006, law school, and snakes in the plane will play a role in this. But at Atlantic City High School... Halloween was a very interesting time. The Morrigate and Vetner kids, they had money, so, you know, they would like to play with the nose candy at Halloween, and then certain Morrigate girls would sneak into the ghetto where we lived to go hang out with the guys they really liked. And Halloween was like a chance to do that. At Atlantic Community College, you know, when my baseball dream died, They were people that really celebrated Halloween in an intellectual way. Thank you, Brian Lundy. Happy Halloween to you too, sir. I didn't quite get it. At Stockton, the frats really were big in the Halloween. And me never being a frat guy, you know, I just never really partook. Who would have known that one day I'd be defending frat kids that were falsely accused by assholes that hide evidence, but I digress. Tropicana, the casino people really partied on Halloween in a different way, and there are so many Halloween stories I could provide. Let me tell you, snowing here too a little bit, Brian. Let me just say this. When you got to law school, you're leaving your roots, and uh, you expected a higher level of intellect. And Halloween parties to me were things I never really went to. I worked overtime. I would definitely, like, grind away. Surprise, surprise. 
but there were always a huge amount of festivities. And law school reminded me of college on steroids. You had fewer people than college, but you had these people that were dying to party on Halloween. You understand something. When you're in law school, and we all have different stories, right? But there's three years of stress involved. And what did they always say? The first year, they scare you to death. The second year, they work you to death. The third year, they bore you to death. Then here comes the bar exam. All right, whatever. My fourth term of law school, I had all morning classes. I had con law one with Brent Simmons. Brett Simmons was a monotone man who was a brilliant constructionist of the Constitution, but the man could put an owl to sleep at night. He was boring as hell. Then I had John Scott for evidence. I never liked John Scott. He used to tell us, oh, I get all you to sign your attendance sheet so one day I could sell it if one of you make it big. He used to scream what, what's hearsay, what's not hearsay, when it wasn't hearsay, he NOT! And, like, the guy was just an idiot. Sorry. And then John Brennan for uh, Property One, he used to lock us in the classroom. It was future interest time. And we all had our study groups, right? And in 2006, we, um, a group of us were studying hard. We all had the same classes together. So I thought we kind of had a bond, you know? And Halloween was coming up. And we're all about our plans for Halloween. Who you're going to date, what you're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Now understand something. I am working my ass off in law school. And I'm working as a journalist. And I'm sending money back home to Aunt Mary and Mom. Partying was not on the agenda. But it was to all these other people. And in the study groups are like, hey... It's Halloween. We all got to unwind. And to me, I saw partying. Like, they would drink. They'd use drugs. And I never even smoked weed, okay? I'm straight edge. And I'm not judging these people. They had to unwind, whatever. Do what you got to do. Do what you want to do. Just don't include me. But they're like, you know what, B? You're always on top of these study groups. And you're doing this. You're doing that. We need to do something that you would, like, participate in for extracurricular. What about a movie? Okay. I'll go to a movie with you guys, but it makes you happy. The movie I went to see was Snakes on a Plane. Okay. Samuel L. Jackson stars in this movie. And it's a weird movie, and surprisingly, it's about stakes that are on a plane. And there's this one scene, and before I hit this... Have you ever hung out with someone who takes the joke too far? You know that person that hears a line in a movie or a commercial and just runs it into the goddamn ground? To the point where you want to get away from this person because they don't shut up. And there's this line on Snakes on a Plane. And Samuel L. Jackson says, and I quote, Enough is enough. I had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. I'm about to start opening windows. Okay. So what Samuel L. Jackson says, and we all laughed. Ha ha ha, funny scene. And the whole concept was idiotic, Mike. There's snakes on the plane, and Samuel L. Jackson's going to protect everybody. He's going to shoot out windows and throw the snakes out of the goddamn plane. So... One of the guys in our group, when he heard this line, it stuck with him. And everywhere we would go, whether it be the hallway before class at 7.50 in the morning, or bathroom breaks, or study groups, or when these fools came to my house at Village Green to have their stupid parties, we'll get there, this guy would scream, enough is enough! I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. I'm going to start opening windows. I'm like, okay. Okay, this guy enjoyed the film. A lot more than anybody else did. And, um, 
you know, he kept saying this continuously. And you're kind of confused, right? Okay. How's it going? I'm getting these motherfucking snakes out of the plane. Okay. Damn. So we're in this study group right before this Halloween party. And um, we're going over evidence and future interest. Now, I gotta remember something, guys. I got dyslexia, right? And I overcame it. But future interest to me was like drinking coffee with a fork. And Professor Brennan made it like 30% of the final. So I got a master future interest. And then in evidence, friggin' John Scott. I figured out very early on, you can always look at the syllabus to figure out what's going to be in the final, right? You download the old finals. It's like, okay, hearsay, impeachment, and character are going to make up 80% of our final. So if we master hearsay, impeachment, and character, we're good to go. So we're in a study group one Friday night. It's before Halloween. And um, I was always the leader of these study groups. And I'm like, all right, let's just call this guy Ron, the snakes and the plane guy. We're walking around the room, and I, like, made these mini outlines for everyone. Like, right, guys, check these outlines out. I emailed them to you, too. But it looks like if we master hearsay, impeachment, and character, and we sprinkle in relevancy in the essays in every essay, we're going to give ourselves a great chance to excel in this course. So we're passing it around the room. Brian, what do you think? Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Christine, what do you think? I get it. And character's giving me problems. Ron, what do you think? I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plate. Okay, dude. What the hell are you talking about right now? So now he's really annoying the shit out of us. Like, he won't stop with this Samuel L. Jackson line. And you want to kind of choke him out, right? I mean, you just, you do. And my aunt's calling me. She needs more money. I'm looking at my bank account at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if this guy's going to cancel my chances to be a lawyer... Because he's going to keep quoting goddamn Samuel L. Jackson the snakes in the plane. I'm going to murder him. I mean, that's what's going to happen here. And nobody was saying anything to this guy. And a few guys were like, hey, can you talk to him? Yeah, I'll talk to him. So I said, dude, you got to stop with the snakes in the plane shit. We're trying to study. We're trying to be lawyers. Let it go. And... There's been many times in life I've been proving wrong on certain theories. And it's usually about people that I'm proving wrong. Now, there's no question I was half right on this. Because to me, to keep screaming this line from this idiotic movie was not going to help us study. But it's Halloween coming up. And let me just say, at Halloween, law students who are generally weird get weirder. And there's this one girl in our class. She was an attractive girl. We called her Coupon Girl. Let me explain. Coupon Girl would be sitting in class cutting coupons. And it was very weird. And I'm looking at her one time, I like having flashbacks. When we were growing up poor, my aunt used to chop up those coupons all the time. And I hated coupons. I will never use coupons. When I need to use coupons, I wouldn't. I hate coupons. And I'm watching her cut these coupons with like this blank look on my face. And she goes, what's up? She says, I'm checking around. I'm like, oh, I just see you're cutting coupons. And she goes, yeah, do you like coupons? I said, no, I hate coupons. So she takes as me flirting with her some way. And she's telling me how she's a big couponer. And she knows when double coupons come out and this and that. And um, I'm just trying to get away from the conversation. But every time she would see me, she would, like, hold up her little coupon bag. Say, oh, B, I got cut my coupons. Like, okay, this woman's nuts. I get it. But I see Snakes and the Plane Boy go up to Coupon Girl. And I hear him scream, I'm going to get those motherfucking snakes off the motherfucking plane. And she's eating it up. Now, I'm thinking nobody in their right mind would be into the snakes in the plane line, but she's totally into it. And um, I expressed my contempt for this to him. I said, dude, you got to stop. You're driving everybody crazy. <laughs> he just wouldn't stop. 
So uh, we get to the party one night. And when I say the party, let me be clear. Village Green. I love Village Green. I'm going to tell you, in 2006, you could get a contact high walking through Village Green's apartments. Every Cooley student, in my opinion, that lived there had a major pot problem. And here I am, Mr. Straight Edge, and uh, I just, I'm sitting there like, huh. There was a person I was sort of living with this guy. I wouldn't say he was a roommate. He was just somebody who mooched free rent. But I would be studying all night. He would invite people over to the apartment. And, you know, he wouldn't show up to study group, but he'd be in the apartment eating the food and this and that. And I guess we were friends by all school standards. But this year on Halloween, he invited all these people over. And I walk in after like a 12-hour study day. And I'm looking for my cats. Winston and Bianca are there. And they're just looking at me like shaking their head. And here are all these law students high as hell on Halloween all dressed up in these weird outfits. Who was a pumpkin? Okay, who was Sasquatch? And and this guy, who's white, he dresses up sort of as Samuel L. Jackson. He's screaming, get these motherfucking snakes off my motherfucking plane. And these group of people are eating it up. And we're all sitting there, and I'm like tired. I put my cats in the bedroom, and I'm hanging out with them for a minute. And I'm like, hey, when are you guys leaving? And they're like, oh, the night's just getting started. Now, the thing about pot and other drugs, from what I could tell, as being the always sober one in the room, hey, Nancy, was um, you go through these stages with the drugs, right? It looks like, at first, people use it to help them with their confidence. Then they get emotional then they get deep. Then they get stupid. And I think the key is when you're talking to the drug user is to make sure you lock in on the deep aspect before you get to the stupid aspect. Because as this guy is screaming, get these snakes off the plane, the drug users are going through the four um, degrees of separation, if you would. You know, and I keep hearing them scream... Get these motherfucking snakes off this motherfucking plane. And I said to him, oh my god, you're still doing this shit. And Coupon Girl is hanging on his every word as he keeps reciting this idiotic line from this stupid movie. And they turn to me as the sober one. Now, when you're the sober one in a group of drunks... <laughs> Thank you, Amber. When you are the sober one in the group of drunks, you gotta watch what you say. Because they won't remember shit, right? But I'll remember what you said. Oh, be hurt my feelings. And, um, so Coupon Girl, Snakes and the Plane Boy, and a group of idiots, they're all, I guess they're like in their deep phase, and they're talking about music. And... She is high saying how she loves coupons. And she was dressed as, like, Cinderella saying how, you know, I may be Cinderella today, but I'll be cutting coupons tomorrow. What the hell does that mean? Like, what? And this guy, he keeps screaming at the snakes on the plane. Dude, we're in apartment in Lansing. Bust our ass in law school. Let it go, man. It's over. You sold the film. He had made the stupid comments. It's like those morons that like the Budweiser frogs. What's up? Like they they going on for years. It's like 2012. Let it go. Okay. I digress. So we're in the deep phase of the drugs, right? They're they're all deep. And I realize, okay, they're like and they're talking about music. B. What do you think is a really deep song? And I said, well, you know, with me, songs are all about lyrics. So you got to remember something. I should not be having this discussion. Because these people are high and drunk. You got Coupon Girl. You got Six of the Plain Guys screaming. The other intellectuals are all drunk and high. I'm sitting there making sure my cats are safe. And it's Halloween at Cooley 2006. Enjoy your contact high. Welcome to Village Green. But for some reason, I don't know.
I, I, I've been longing for a conversation to talk about song lyrics for years, and oh my god, it's my chance. And much like the Halloween in the wealthy neighborhood, I was disappointed. Because now, I'm telling them, you know what's a deep song, guys? Let me tell you. Polaris by Jimmy Eat World. So I'm going on and on. And I'll post a song, and I'm like, you know, and here's why it's deep, and I play it for them. And I'm in a zone now, right? I'm like, oh, I got them. I know they're all high and they're couponing and snakes on the plane, but now I got their attention and I could finally sell Jimmy Eat World and tell you about the song Polaris. And I'm breaking it down. And, um, you know, like, and when he says, I know your kiss remains employed, it's this guy to the girl he loved and he lost her. And it's so deep. And this band, they were a nobody. And this song helped put them over the top. You know, it was a big smash hit. Because when they played this song live, people were into it. And certain people were feeling it. But then the deep part of drugs wear off. And when the deep part of drugs wear off, these people look at each other like, why am I dressed in these costumes? What day is this? And I'm, you're not catching on, right? Remember something. Nobody knows how stupid somebody is until they start talking. The truth is rarely the answer. Lying equates to an amazing memory, but silence is golden. And I gotta tell you, Snakes in the Plane Guy and Coupon Girl, two attractive people, maybe relatively intelligent, neither one's a lawyer today, but I gotta tell you something, if they would've kept their mouth shut, clipped their coupons at home, just enjoyed the movie in private, Maybe they wouldn't be part of this goddamn live today. But no, they ran in their mouth. And the intellectual deep part of what I'm talking about, Jimmy Eat's world, then hits to the stupidity part of the drug barrel. Okay. So they don't like Jimmy Eat World's pores. And I'm a little annoyed. Okay, what do you think is a deep song? And this one idiot says, who let the dogs out? You think Who Let the Dogs Out is deeper than Polaris by Jimmy Eat World. Okay. And then this one guy, a Jersey guy, no less, part of the study group, but he was annoying me. I told him two times, stop blowing the goddamn marijuana. It's bothering my cats. And he stopped for a minute. I go to the bathroom, I see him blowing against the dude. What are you doing? I told you to stop. It's my apartment. I'll kick you out. I don't need you this. You're bothering my cats. So now he's getting the beer muscles. Here comes the stupidity part. He's like, well, I'm going to smoke weed if I want to smoke weed. You can do anything you want outside this apartment, but you're not going to smoke weed in my apartment and blow the smoke. I know you idiots were smoking heavily before I got home. That's why we went from the courageous to the funny to the to the stupidity, right? The four layers of this shit. I digress. Hmm. So he wants to challenge me. And this is one of those moments in time when um, I wish that I would have just kept my mouth shut. I really hurt him that night emotionally. He goes, Polaris by Jimmy Eat World is not that deep of a song. You son of a bitch. How dare you talk shit about Polaris? What's a deep song then? Break it down for me. He goes, Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi. Hmm. Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi, is deeper than Polaris by Jimmy Eat World. Now, understand something here. What we have is two Jersey boys yelling at each other at 2 o'clock in the morning at an apartment in Lansing while stressed out in law school. One in costume, him. One not, me. One worked 12 hours, me. One's been smoking weed for hours, him. And this is not a fair fight. But I said, you really think living on a prayer is deeper than Jimmy World? Okay. Well, let's break down living on a prayer. Tommy used to work on the docks. Unions went on strike. He's down on his luck. Gina works the diner all day working for her man. She brings home her pay for love. Oh, for love. You know what that is, dude? That is a guy in Jersey who doesn't want to work, who's living on his girlfriend, who's selling his guitar to try to pay the rent. While Polaris is about a guy who's trying to get on with his life when he lost a girl to somebody who's underneath him. Screw you! And I'm adamant about this. And he starts crying. 
Oh my god, you're right! Ooh, I didn't realize! Bon Jovi saw about some guy living on this girl. Like, oh shit, I didn't want him to cry. I was irritated! The weed's going! This guy screamed about snakes on the plane! Coupon girl's bitching her Cinderella outfit! Right? I mean, when's this shit end? This guy had to challenge me, and I'm smart enough. Look, he's at the stupidity part of the drugs! Remember, it goes courage, funny, deep, stupidity. He was on layer four. I'm always deep. I'm sober. So this guy's crying. The other idiot keeps me up snakes on the plane. Finally, you know what? I don't need to drink and drive. They couldn't have any money to take cabs or wasn't Uber back then. And um, they're all sprout, sprout out on the apartment. And uh, I made sure my cats were cool. Come six in the morning when I went for my run, I kicked them all the hell out of there. And um, that is Halloween 2006 at Cooley, Village Green Apartments, and my ode to snakes on the plane. Alright, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm Bill Amadeo. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.